All right, Bokatov. Uh, today's daf is Lamed. We begin the next parak. I should mention that I left you yesterday with a, uh, a cliffhanger. Anyway, a question. The Gemara says we're talking about doing measuring on Yantiv, measuring out flour and so on, and spoke about that a nachtom, a cook, um, which is what it meant in that context, can uh, measure out the spices in order to not ruin the dish. Um, I asked you what would be about a normal person. Well, the actual halacha is that even your, your normal uh, balabas or balabuster um, can, uh, if you're cooking on yantiv, can actually uh, measure out um, the spices, the ingredients, a teaspoon of this, a half a teaspoon of that. Um, you're allowed to because of the concern, because that's like a, like a normal type of measuring that takes place in the kitchen and is necessary um, in order to make sure that the dish comes out properly. The only thing that the post can say is uh, if you normally don't measure it out, if you normally just do a dash or, you know, like a, like a, a pinch of salt, obviously don't do the measuring on yantiv. But that's an interesting and important thing to know when you are cooking on yantiv um, that you actually can use your, like, measuring spoon. So that's personal. Okay. That's personal. That's Some people may be more yeah. like, no idea. Like exactly. Okay, so now we begin. So, that sort of was again with those things of um, all these issues related to cooking and to food preparation um, which obviously is the dominant theme here um, we now move to the next parak, which talks about um, which the opening discussion emphasizes again these issues of but maybe also related issues of tircha. let's take a look um, and this is a little bit before you actually get um, to the kitchen itself if you bring um, jugs of wine from one place to another place, you're bringing them from, you know, your storage shed or whatever to your house. Don't bring them like in a big basket, you know, have like 20 uh, jugs of wine carrying it in a basket or in a box. But bring it on your shoulder or holding it in front of you. But don't like schlep a huge amount all at the same time. Now, the um, crane, I'll read this and then I'll step back and explain it. The crane, Hamolichasateven, or if you're bringing straw to your animals, Lo don't like take this huge box of straw and sort of carry it on your back. But you bring it like holding it in front of you in your hand. What? Well, I'll talk about that. Okay, and you can start initially to use a pile of straw that you hadn't yet broken into from beforehand, and the assumption here is that you're using it um, for firewood. Of a lobe 18 shabumukza, but not with uh, uh, wood that is in like the mukza, uh, which is uh, like you can consider it like a storage shed. Rashi says specifically it's the uh, alleyway behind the house. Again, fascinating that they had an actual, it was actually a noun of a type of a place that things were stored and put away, which then becomes, of course, also the name of mukza, something that's off limits. But it's the same idea, it's things that are like stored away. And, put, and set aside. So you cannot break into your storage shed of wood if you have not begun using your wood um, for, uh, for, you know, for firewood. Uh, but you can uh, break into your uh, haystack or, you know, in order straw, your, your, your pile of straw in order to start using that. So exactly what the difference is there is not clear. That seems to be more of a muqtza problem, not just because of the use of the word, but because of what's going on. We'll worry about that in a minute. But let's first talk about the... Well, all right, we'll worry about that. Let's first talk about the first part of the Mishnah, which is this idea of this uh, schlep. What exactly is the concern? So if you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says, um, like, um, 
five lines down in the Rashi's beginning in the, in the uh, Perek, just the middle of the Rashi, It looks like very weekday that you're you know, carrying big burdens is the type of thing you do on a weekday. Um, if you just bring a small amount, clearly why are you bringing a couple of bottles? You bring bottles because you need wine in your house because it's going to be for a yantiv meal. You need some straw to feed your animals. But if you bring huge amounts, Rashi doesn't underscore the kirch element, but he says if you do bring huge amounts, it looks more like weekday activity. You're taking care of your, you know, you're on the farm, so you bring a ton of straw, or you're, I don't know, you're selling wine, you're, you know, you're transporting wine, you're bringing a box full of wine. But if you do small amounts, you're obviously taking care of like immediate needs, and it's not so much about the type of general sort of business and larger sort of weekday engagement that you do. So that's Rashi's concern of Uvdidachal. Tosus raises a question, so it's not about Kircha. Now, um, per, per se. Tosus raises a question that he says, by Shabbos, we taught a Mishnah that seems to give you maybe even more latitude. If you take a look at the Tosus, maybe Kadayayim, we'll just look at a line of this because it's very important in understanding some of these nuanced differences. He says, it says you can take you can take out four to five boxes of straw, you know, from your uh, from the barn. So here, why does it say like don't take out a box of uh, you know straw or it's loyavi in the kupa? So Tosa says, um, okay. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm going to skip to the second answer, which is more interesting. And he says like this. Um, one minute. So he says like this. Vyesh Lomar, five lines down at the end of the line. Do people see it? Vyesh Lomar. The Hasamai B'Shabbos. When it's a Shabbos issue, and there's a question about moving some straw around, Lo there's not a concern of uv when somebody sees you moving straw around on Shabbos or whatever, wine from place to place. Why not? He says, where's most of your caring going to go on Shabbos? Assuming you don't have an Arab around the whole city. Right? Most of your caring will go from one part of your house to another part of your house. Or maybe within a courtyard. They would have an Arab in a courtyard. But you're not going to be transporting it large distances. So you're going to be a, some small degree of movement. So their concern isn't over the call. If somebody sees you, you know, walking down the street with a big box of straw, who knows? You're going, you know, you're involved in your business activities. But if you're just doing it within the courtyard or within your house, it doesn't look like over the call. So the only concern there, says Tosus, is so what's the concern by Shabbos? So there the Gemara would rather, by Shabbos, that you take a big quantity and do fewer trips. Right, this is always the question I have when I'm bringing groceries home from the supermarket. <laughs> you know, we have this one uh, cart that we can take stuff up from, like, you know, from the garage. You know, do you try to, like, do it all <laughs> and get it done in one trip, or do you do multiple trips? So the Tosa says, by Shabbos, the Gemara says, better to make um, fewer trips and a bigger schlep because it's not over the whole. And fewer trips, in the large sense, means, you know, less effort than one trip with more quantity. So the concern by Shabbos is more the Tircha issue and not the Uvdur Dachol. We want to be Mimai Tircha. He says, um, it's not as much the concern of Kircha. What more dominates is Mishum because you're actually can be schlepping it large distances and not just within the house. 
Okay? So, so, so that's why we'd rather, it says, don't take a big basket. Take a small, but if I take a small amount, I'm going to have to make ten trips. Fine. So you'll make ten trips. It'll be more effort, but it won't look as much like weekday activity. So it so says, these are competing values, right? A large amount or small amounts, multiple trips. And he says, by Shabbos, the bigger concern is the effort. And therefore, we do something that's going to minimize the effort. By Yantiv, not because Yantiv, you know, there are different, fundamentally different concerns, but once we're allowing transporting on Yantiv, the reality of transporting these things is going to raise much higher Uvda the whole realities. And therefore, that's the prime thing we want to address. And we're going to insist that you do small amounts even if it's going to demand for multiple trips. Yeah, that's yeah. the same where I'm stopping. In other words, like, straw people take the marketplace. Let's say I'm going here from base measures and taking smart. Swarum, right, maybe. It could be. The cases here are, are, might be specific. It's a good question. You're absolutely right. All right, so let's take a look now at the Gemara. But that Joseph was very helpful, not just distinguishing Shabbos and Yantav, but raising the types of concerns. A Tircha concern, as opposed to an Uvda the Chol, and the mission community is addressing itself to Uvda the Chol, and therefore speaking about small quantities at a time, even if it winds up meaning most Trips. Okay, let's take a look. Tana, we turn to If you cannot do it for whatever reason in a different way, like this is your only way of transporting it, you can't make multiple trips in small amounts or whatever, the only way it's a, it's a bulky thing and the only way you can do it is on your back, okay, you have no choice, which you'll be allowed to do it. Iskin Rava bin Mechuzah, Rava established in Mechuzah, which was Rava's town. The Daru Bidochka, those that carry with, literally it means with effort. Rashi says that normally it means that they carry a burden on their, like, on their shoulders, and it's a big heavy burden. So, no, Daru, no, no, it means to carry. The Daru Berigla, now literally that means carry on your leg. How are you supposed to carry something on your leg? It's not clear. So Rashi says it doesn't mean literally leg. It means a type of a, like a shovel or a, a pitchfork that would be used to carry something. So it would be a shinoi. Now Rashi consistently says in these Gemaras that you have to do a shinoi so it doesn't look like work weekday activity, but Rashi says you have to try to make it that the shinoi also lightens the burden. Of course, the irony is that if you had a way to do it with less effort, why weren't you doing it that way during the weekday? Maybe it's a little bit more, maybe it's a little bit more like, you know, requires a little more contortion, but it still is sort of less in terms of the weight or in terms of that. Tosos says it doesn't matter if it lightens the burden or not. The idea, as we've seen by Tosos, is not the effort, but is the uvda the chol. So with Shinoi, even if it doesn't lessen the burden for Tosos, is fine. But Rashi says it has to also be, or ideally it has to lighten the burden and it certainly, certainly can't increase the burden. Okay, so the Dar of the Rigla, those that normally things are carried with Rigla, which again for Rashi means like a pitchfork, the Dar of Igra, carry it literally on the roof, which Rashi says here that, that means like on your uh, shoulder. I mean on your, um, um, uh, yeah, let me just check Rashi. The um, Igra uh, by the moat, like not on, your, not on your shoulder with a single person, but have like a, have a, have a, have a, have a what do you call it? Um, yeah, exactly, right? You know, have some type of a beam or whatever, some type of a stick that you use that you, with somebody's help, you carry it on your shoulder. Again, to me, that looks much more uvda de chol, um, you know, carrying something around on a big stick um, together with two people. The Daru be Igra, and things that are normally carried that way, the Daru be Akfa, you should carry it with Akfa, which Rashi says um, means, um, what does Rashi say means? Hold on, let me remind myself. Oh, somehow, so I don't know, get the exact translation of the word, but Rashi says it means carry on a stick in front of you, not on your shoulder. 
Um, okay, fine. The Darba Akfan, things that are normally carried that way and don't have another way of being carried and you have to make some type of a Shinoi. Nifrasudra Iluya. Okay, so here it's clearly that it is about, obviously, the, the visuals. Just, you know, cover it up with a blanket or something, literally with like a scarf. So it should be obvious that you're transporting, I mean, obviously you're transporting something, but the more it's done in its neatest way and it's covered up, the less it looks like an Ovda Dechol. The Imloef Shari, and if there's no option to do it in any way that is different, fine, you can do it in the normal way, as we said in the first line. The Amamai, Miyam Shalishana's mother, because we taught in the Bible, we opened this discussion with that if there's no way to do it in a different way, it's permissible. Okay, so, thank you. So, Amar, so, Amar, Amalai Ravchanan Barravu Ravashi. Ravchanan Barravu says Ravashi. Amar Rabbanan, the rabbis have said, If you're able, to the degree you're able to change, we change. Okay, we ask for you to do it in a different way if it's, if it's feasible. Biyomotova, Anyantav. One minute. He says, I, I, I observe something that I'm not happy with, that, you know, that looks like this problem of appearing of weekday activity, and people aren't bothering to do it in a different way. Because the women, there are these women, the Kamalyan Chatzivayu Maya Biyomatova, they go and they fill their buckets with water on Yantiv. Raji says it means from the well. I, I'm from the river. I don't know how, how he knew it's not the well, but okay. They go and fill their buckets of water on Yantiv. And they don't do it in any different way. So you see them contra- you know, bringing the water back to town. Again, this was the time before, you know, um, indoor plumbing. And it looks just the way they schlep water during the weekday. So, I mean, it, it, so it has that same weekday feel to it. They don't do it in any different way. I mean, the low mini. And we don't say anything to them. And how do we sort of allow that to happen um, without, make, without commenting? So I'm away. So he said back to him, Mishum look, this is in the category of things that you cannot reasonably change. Why can't you reasonably change? Hey, what do you want them to do? Those that you know, normally fill, fill the water with, use a big bucket to fill the water. So you would say, why not carry, do smaller buckets? So it's very nice for you to suggest doing smaller buckets. Kamafish bihilucha. You're going to make them have to make multiple trips. Now, Tosvos just said that in the Mishnah, that's what happens. We ask the person to do a smaller amount that we'd prefer multiple trips if it doesn't look as much of a weekday. But what Tosvos says, Tosvos is aware of that. So what he says is, yeah, but in the Mishnah, it's unusual to carry those amounts in small quantities. So that's why it doesn't look like the Dacholas. We're about to see there were some people would left the water with big buckets. Some people would slept the water with small buckets. So whichever way you switch, it doesn't really look different. It might be different for you, but it doesn't look different than the weekday. And it doesn't accomplish anything. If anything, that small benefit that it's different for you comes at a cost. And therefore, it's not, therefore it's not really a feasible option. Yes? Do you have anything to say about the tone of the language here? In other words, it doesn't it sounds like apes. Right. It doesn't sound like it's a, are you like, this is us, sir? But the Yavad, it sounds like uh, the whole language is like, like, what's the... Yeah, you know, it's a good point. And I think that um, the whole issue of Uvdu the Chol, you know, is, um, in general, is a hard area to paskin in when it comes to Shabbos and Yantif because it is so amorphous and so contextual. And it's, but besides true, it's amorphous and contextual, and it's not, it's not to apt the, the type of, like, you know, quantitative concrete parameters um, were usually given which makes sense because it is about experientially and it's really impossible um, and would be like 
some ways counterproductive to try to think we could quantify them. Um, and it's also a little difficult because on some degree, as you're seeing, it's like the biggest deal, not the biggest, like a Doraisa, but the biggest deal because it completely impacts the experiential aspect of does it feel like Shabbos and Yantav or does it not feel like Shabbos and Yantav. On the other hand, many, Uvdudchol is rarely made like an Isser Durabanan. Like now, some of it we had before. Like some types of the things that we had before, the Gemara said the underlying concern was Uvdudchol, but it was formulated and articulated in a strict Isser. Like, you know, you can't use the, you can't use the scale. You can't use the cane or whatever. I mean, you know, these types of things were formulated as whatever those concerns led to, to promulgating a technical Isur. Right here, right, it, you know, it's, um, you know, here it does sound more like guidelines and the very fact that we look at it contextually, if there's no other option, you can do it. Just look at the language of the Mishnah. Lo yivien basala bakupa. It doesn't say asr lahavi, you know, it doesn't say like it's forbidden, right? It talks about like how you should go about it. So you make an excellent point and I think that that continues to play out when sometimes people ask Shilas about Shabbos or Yantav and the biggest issue is Uvda Dechol. So on the one hand, how do you assess it? And on the other hand, it's like, how do you impart to people that it's a real serious issue in terms of the texture of Shabbos? And at the other hand, it might not be, have this sort of formalized weight that other areas of halacha do. So you do make an excellent point. Let's just, I, let's just finish this and then I'll get to the other questions. So he said, if you can't go in a, you know, what do you want him to do? Any change won't be a big difference because the social says like, they do it that way, other people do it that way anyway. And it comes at a cost. So Demali, um, so the uh, So the people that normally t- uh, do it in small buckets, you want to say Let them now do it in big buckets. But that also comes at a cost. It makes it heavier. So everything will come at some cost, and it's going to not really be much of a shinui anyway. So okay, so you want to say, but look, we said before, if you can't carry it in a different way, cover it up with a uh, with a scarf. So techaskiy binachemta, cover it up with some type of a uh, scarf. So zinin did not feel the asil lasuye. So I'm sorry, nechemta is Rashi says it's a uh, it's, it's like a piece of wood. Excuse me. Hold on, let me just check Rashi. Um, yeah, Kiso Shil Eight. I'm sorry. So cover it up with like a wood cover. Um, but that, but that, but sometimes it'll fall down and you'll carry it. Now, who really cares about carrying it? It's Yantav. So some take out that phrase. But what it means is because you don't want it to fall down, it'll lead to the next problem. To Katre. So it's, they're going to want to like uh, tie this up, this uh, um, wood cover to cover up their barrel. And that'll be the Shinoi. Zimdin the Mavsik. Sometimes the knot will break. The Asi Lemiktare. And then you'll come to knot it and then you can't make a knot on Yantav of course a minute ago it said knot it but maybe it means you'll knot it from before Yantav but then it'll break and you'll knot it again on Yantav or Raji also indicates that maybe the first knot is more of a temporary knot but then it keeps on falling off and you'll make more of a permanent knot so that won't be a solution because a cover will lead to you doing some other problem okay so don't cover it with a wood plank Tifra Sudra Uluya how about put a you know a scarf on top of it some type of a of, of, a, of a cloth cover. No. So the, the cloth will get to a wet with the water. They sleep and you'll come to squeeze this out. What? 
Well, yeah, but you want it. You're trying to transport water. Therefore, there's no feasible option. Now, Tosa says, why was it different before when we talked about transporting wine and we said cover it with a cloth? So Tosa said, well, first of all, he says, here you've got a bucket with a big open, you know, mouth. So obviously, as something is covering the top of it, it's going to get very wet. If you're a barrel of wine with a little opening in the top, we're not so much concerned about schita. The other difference is, gets to what Michael says, which is, what's the prohibition of schita? And there are two prohibitions of schita. One is, if you get something wet with water, then schita, you know, you wring out clothes as part of the laundering process. The other is, if it's absorbed, not water, but other liquids, then the only problem with schita is like squeezing out fruit. It's because you're trying to extract the, 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 you know, what's contained because you want it. So the naptamina is, what if the thing that you're extracting is going to waste? What if you squeeze out your shirt over, you know, over dirt and it all goes to waste or over on, a, on top of a floor? So if it's water that's absorbed, it's still a problem because you're laundering the shirt. But if it's something like wine that's absorbed or juice that's absorbed, so the whole problem is because you're trying to extract the liquid and here the liquid going to waste, it's not really a problem. Questions about lechabchil or whatever. Anyway, so this is, that's another difference. If the, if the cloth absorbed wine, then if the wine accidentally gets squeezed out, it's going to waste. It wouldn't be a problem. But if it absorbed water and that gets squeezed out and even if it falls on the floor, you're still having a problem of laundering. So here there's a problem of schita. It could get, it's much more likely it'll get wet and if you squeeze it out, it's much bigger, much more likely that it'll be a problem. So therefore, the Gemara says there's no reasonable option, so we do it the normal way. Yes. Yeah, I'm trying to understand this a little bit better. Like, but we don't say, okay, well, let's say you usually do it, get your husband to do it. Right. right. So we, we don't we don't know that. Well, that's again. That's not really. That's like a very subjective shinui for you. Here, the uvda dechol has much more to do with the um, experiential reality it creates. It sort of at the societal level. You know, what does it? How does it make? How does it, What does it look like? But not like a look like like Maris Ayin. How does it make us? You know, what does it do to the texture of yuntiv? And that has to do much more with how it's experienced by others, not just your subjective. When we talk about normal shinui, uh, you know, we'll turn it on with your elbow or something. That's so that at your very personal malacha level, you're doing the act with a shinoi, which makes it less of a transgression. Here, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the shinoi impacts the way in which this act is experienced and how it impacts the, you know, the, like I said, like the texture of the day. So, therefore, the, the before, subjective shinoi is less relevant. Before, we want to just basically move it like one down. If you do it this way, do it that way. We have to go, to go two steps. No, I don't know. Again, it seems more like guidelines than any such sort of thing. Moshe, you have a question? No? You have a question? No? Okay. Yeah. This Chita issue yeah. implies potentially a person could wash their face with a washcloth on young and squeeze it out and water No. Yeah. Um, well, um, I mean, the... Yeah, well, you don't get it so- sopping wet. I mean, that's the real issue. Okay, so now the work continues. Um, okay, so where are we? Hilkachlo Esther. I'm only Rabbi Bar Ravchanin Labai. So Rabbi Bar Ravchanin said to Abai, it's not. Now, since we said we don't sort of say anything to these women, it's going to lead to, um, again, here's a male rabbi saying things to, about saying or not saying things to women, but well, it's okay. We'll start talking about men too in a minute. Um, but yeah, um, again, if Rivka were here, you know, wonder what she would say about all of this. So anyway, but now we turn to a broader discussion around those issues, which actually is a very important discussion. It relates to much, m- many other things, as we'll see in a minute. So I'm going to Rabbi Baruch Hanin Labai. Rabbi Baruch Hanin says to Abai, Tanan, Tanan Mishnah. 
actually this is a mission we're going to see in about a week less you don't sort of clap and Mesopakin Raji says it's not clapping two hands but clapping like on the thigh and you don't dance and you don't do these things on Yantav now what's the reason not so the Gemara says the reason is because you might come to, you know, uh, fix a, a vest, uh, 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 like a musical instrument. You'll pick up a musical instrument, you'll come to fix it, and that's the problem, makes it a gzera. It's actually worth noting that in its original locus in the Tosefta, where this, uh, or not locus, but in the parallel source in the Tosefta, where this comes from, it sounds like what we're talking about is not like dancing like you do on like, oh, you know, let's sing a nice nigun and dance. It sounds like what you're doing is you're out in the field and you're clapping and you're jumping up and down why would you be doing that out in the field? And thought, well, no, to scare away the, the birds. To scare, so, that, so th- this is in a Tosefta which discusses Uvda the Chol. It says, It's really directly about Uvda the Chol because it's sort of like activities that are done to attend to your field and to attend to those types of, you know, sort of uh, business or income related concerns. Um, interestingly, that's not how the Bavli interprets it. The Bavli interprets it as this concern that you'll make musical instruments. Anyway, whatever the concern is, people went down and violated it. So it says, Now we see that people actually go ahead and do this. They do the clapping or the dancing or whatever, or whatever they're doing. And we, how come we let them do it and we don't comment on it? Right? Why don't we say anything? Why do we tolerate it? So Amrlay, so you see the parallel to the case of the drawing of the water. But now it's about men doing activities. And either way, the question is, well, where are the rabbis? We should we have a responsibility. We should be saying something. So Amrlay, he said back to him, according to your reasoning, Hadama Rava, or this question exactly it was, but anyway, Hadama is it Rava or Rava? Lole Shapuma Dulchaya. Person should not sit by the uh, mouth of the uh Lichayim, the uh, the uh, post. Uh, by the opening of a mubboy, maybe an object will roll around and you'll come to carry it. What does that mean? It means, if you remember, back to our Arabian days, right, you had, you had these courtyards, right, which had all these houses opened up and there were walls around it, and you would do like a, you know, a, a, you know, a lehi or a kora, et cetera, to allow you to carry, and then you had multiple courtyards opening up into a mubboy, Right, which is like a alley, okay, and also was surrounded by these walls. And if you have a lechayim, if you have a lechi, I should say, if you have a, a, a post or a kora or a beam, then you're allowed to carry in the courtyard. Okay. Now, what does this purpose does the lechi serve? It means here you are, and you're playing ball in the courtyard, or you have, you're having an object, and you want to, and maybe the ball rolls away, and you're going to go go after it. But to go after it, you're going to pass the lechi, and you're going to see that lechi, or you'll see that kora, and that'll remind you you're about to cross a threshold. And it'll remind you, don't step out and carry something out or carry something back in. So one of the purposes it serves is exactly to demark it until you're about to cross a threshold. Well, if you're sitting right over here, right, with right and your back is to the lechi and you're sitting right there and you're holding something even if technically you're like in the courtyard and holding it what's going to happen? The thing will roll out and you'll go after it and you're not going to see the head there because you're sitting right at the line and it's to your back and therefore we say don't sit by the lechi 
Okay, let's read that again. Don't sit by the mouth of the courtyard, right by the lechi. Maybe an object will roll away. You'll come to carry it. But again, how about these women? They take their buckets. And they sit with their buckets by the mouth of the mabwe. Again, this, is, this will be your Shabbos concern because it's about carrying. We don't say anything to them. Now again, you know, this is only concern where might it lead? It's not, you know, but it still is violating Rava's uh, rule. So how do we, um, and if we're concerned that that might lead to caring, how is it we don't say anything about it? So how is it that we tolerate these various types of activities? Ella, so he said, I'll tell you what the answer is. So Abayi said, how do we not say anything? So Rafkhanan says, there's other things that happen we don't say anything about. So what's the explanation? How do we tolerate, tolerate it? Ella, Hanachlem Yisrael, leave the Jewish people alone. Mutzoshu, Shogun, and Baal Yumizidin, better they should transgress uh, you know, unintentionally than transgress willingly, which means, you know, the same way, as Gemara says some other place, the same way it's a mitzvah to say something that'll be heard, it's a mitzvah not to say something that won't be heard. Okay, so it's, to saying something means that it'll be productive. If in the end what it will lead to is that it'll be fl- that people will ignore you and it'll be fl- flouted more openly, then besides at the personal level, let's say, it turns them from a shogig into a mazid, but what it also does is it leads even to a more undermining of of, the, of rabbinic authority, right? So you have to know to like pick your battles and if, if this is going to lead to people disregarding it and dismissing it, it's not going to be helpful to try to make a point about it. So sometimes it's better to tolerate certain things. Okay, and even at their level, oh, but they're sinning, but they would be sinning anyway otherwise and this way at least they're doing it unintentionally. If that's how we assess the situation. Obviously, you have to assess. Will my saying something do good or not do any good in this situation? And now the Gemara continues, So the same way that's true about the case of Rava and the Post, it's also true about this dancing and clapping and so on. Now, what's the limit to this issue? How often do you, do you always tolerate all situations? So the Gemara first suggests, maybe this is only, sometimes do we not say anything. That's by rabbinic violation. It should be mentioned that both of the violations we mentioned before were in themselves, the way the Bible understands it, a concern lest it lead to a more serious violation, lest you fix a musical instrument, lest you come to carry. In itself, right, so even, so not only is it rabbinic, but it's even like a rabbinic safeguard. So maybe there we're willing to keep our, you know, you know keep quiet. But for a biblical violation, maybe, says the Gemara initially, we wouldn't be quiet. We would have to say something. Okay, now why would you say something if it's not going to do any good? So, the simple explanation, I'll say something else in a minute, but the simple explanation is, look, you never know if it's going to do any good, and maybe it won't do any good today, but, you know, maybe if you keep on working at it, eventually you'll get through to people. So, you know, nobody is a prophet, so, uh, so maybe if it's a much more weighty violation, you have more of a responsibility to keep on trying, and even if you think that it's not going to do any good. So, let's assume that's the issue, okay? But, so, we think that by derisive, you have to say something. So, the Gemara says, Below he. But you know what? That distinction is not true. And it doesn't matter, says the conclusion of the Gemara, whether it's biblical or rabbinic. We keep our quiet. We don't say things to people that are violating in a case where we assume they won't listen to us. 
How do I know that? Adding to Yom Kippur is a biblical idea, like not just to start when, you know, sunset, but to add some minutes to it, right? The Gemara learns is an idea to add minutes to Yom Kippur, to stop eating from even before sunset. And people eat and drink right up to sunset. And we keep our quiet. So based on our, what we're doing, not just what they're doing, but the reality that we're not saying anything proves that the Gemara that sometimes even by Doraisas it's best not to say anything. Now, a couple of points to make about this. First of all, Tosa says, look, it can't literally mean they eat up to the very last second <laughs> because then obviously nobody can time it that well and obviously then people would come to be eating on Yom Kippur. So they must stop like a minute before. So Tosa says, so why isn't that minute Tosefis Yom Kippur? So Tosa says, well, no, obviously it means Tosefis Yom Kippur has to be something a little bit more substantial than just a minute. But he doesn't exactly know how much it is and that leads to an interesting discussion in the, in the Rishonim what is the minimum amount that would qualify as Tosefis Yom Kippur? And some say a half hour, some say, you know, a lot less. But anyway, that's one point. But anyway, the other issue is about this issue about basically, this is an issue of like tochacha, you know, saying something. Is that really true that even by a biblical violation, even when it gets to the example of the biblical violation, notice it picks one that is sort of very much at the periphery, right? It's not like an explicit verse. It's not a negative prohibition. It's a mitzvah to add a few minutes to Yom Kippur, right? Right. Exactly. Oh, oh, you mean to how much you add, right? Which is also part of the question, right? So, so basically, what develops the halacha is that the following case is the one that you do have to say something, even if you think it won't do any good. Which is a, it's biblical, and b, it's mafurish bakra. It's like explicit. Like the Torah there says, you know. Don't do malacha on shops now. It's not exactly explicit what counts as malacha. Oh, well, but okay, but it doesn't have to be that explicit. Okay, but the prohibition is explicit. In that case, you have to say something even if you don't think it'll do any good. Now, why, again, let's ask, why is that different? If it's not going to do any good, why is that different? So one answer could just be, like I said, because you never know. You're not a prophet and maybe it will do some good. Um, how about the answer of mutoviyu shogigim? So, and why does it matter if it's explicit or not? So this might be the point. It's that the the ability to say that somebody is a shogay if the prohibition is explicit it's like a less of a legitimate claim oh I didn't know it's like black and white so even if it's technically true you didn't know it's not so much of it doesn't so much exonerate you so anyway since it's pretty explicit the fact that you could better shogig than maybe you're not such a big shogig to begin with okay that sounds like the reason why that if it's explicit and it's biblical we gotta do try and do something because anyway A it might do some good you never know and B you're not such a shogig to begin with but another possible explanation about this is not just that maybe it'll do some good. It raises an interesting question by Tochacha. Exactly. Which is sometimes even if it's not going to do any good, if nobody says anything, then that means that that basically, you know, who, who's standing up for, for the Torah? Who's defending the Torah's honor? Who's saying there's a problem here? doesn't matter if, any, if this guy's going to listen to you, but we were talking before about what reality do you create for everybody else? That, you know, violations occur and nobody says anything. It means it's okay. It means it's tolerated. You know, sometimes the rabbi has 
have to get up and say that this is wrong, even if nobody is, even if the people who are violating aren't going to listen to it, at least everybody is hearing that, you know, that there's a problem here. So, um, so that could be, a, that's an important aspect of the Tochacha as well. Um, you know, especially like in the, uh, I don't know, this is like, okay, Lahav deal, obviously, but, uh, you know, just in the after, you know, yesterday was Yom HaShoah, and the point about what does it mean to be a silent bystander? You know, the only thing that evil needs to succeed is for, I know, Lizzo, you said that, good men to stand by and say nothing. Somebody's got to get up and say that this is wrong, even if no, you know, the violators aren't listening. Hopefully somebody will listen. Yes. Uh, but just if you don't mind, you know, then I mean, we'll worry about that in a week from now when we get to that Mishnah okay now yes yeah Tosa says what are you talking about Ava you're not allowed to do that on your on, on Yom Shev from Cholomoy Yadon so anyway yeah I think maybe the whole thing is really experiential as you mentioned before maybe show getting in the sense that no one intentionally violates Yom Kippur what you have to point out to them is that you have to be most in other words he himself is trying to eat up until the last minute, which means he's not being most. Right. So you have to teach him that he needs to be most. Right. No one's going to eat intentionally violate. Right. Just like the whole, the whole thing. Right, right, right. I think of it as the power steward engine. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it is. It's just a question. I don't. I can't define it, but I'll recognize it when I see it. Right, 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 right. But the, by the way, the case about the um, teaching to be most is correct. When the Gemara says it's still right, that doesn't mean not eating on Yom Kippur is still rice. That means the idea of adding to Yom Kippur is still rice, and that's the thing and that you have... Right, that, exactly. 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 And that's, I think, a good point as well, which I was thinking to say, that maybe also the difference of Mephurish Bekra is that, you know, is that there's a... Um, well, no, actually, it works the opposite, because according to that, meaning maybe somebody just needs to be educated, that would create a greater com- reason to be saying something in the things that are less explicit. Maybe they just need to be informed, right? So, and actually, but it works out the opposite, because when it's less explicit, you have less, you know, you're, 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 you're more pulled back. Okay, very important Gemara is about Tochacha and about, you know, when do we say things and not say things. Let's get back now to this issue about schlepping or whatever, Uvdu the Kolan Teven. You can start by, you can break into the pile of straw, but not into the, she- the woodshed. So says the Gemara, Amar Kahana, says Rav Kahana, Zosomeris matchilin ba'utzar tchila, you know, you're start- allowed to break into your uh, storage shed for, uh, and you know, if you're, you're storing f- uh, apples or wheat or whatever you're storing, you're allowed to break into it and start using it on Yantiv, and it's not a muktzah problem. Money, who's this going like? Rip Shimon, he's always lay muktza. Again, notice the use of the word muktza in different ways. It's Rip Shimon who generally isn't concerned with muktza. Doesn't mean he doesn't know the muktza at all, but he has a much, much lower threshold. And therefore, just the fact that you're, have, you know, you're storing, you know, your apples in your shed doesn't mean they're off limits. Even if in your mind you were sort of, you were, you know, closing them up, but it's something that always in theory you could use. And that's, that's who it's going like. Aim a safer. Let's look at the end of the Mishnah. But you can't use the wood in the storage shed. Also in the Rebbe Yehuda, he's saying Muksa. That's Rebbe Yehuda also Muksa. Meaning it's a funny way of asking, but it basically says, what is the difference between the straw and the wood? Okay? But it says it to tell you this idea that you're keeping stuff in the shed, stuff that's totally usable, but you're just, you in your mind have put it aside and kept it in the shed, is that enough to make it Muksa? And that would be a debate of Rebbe Yehuda and Rebbe Shimon. So how do we understand the difference between the, between the straw and the wood? So the Gemara says like this. And here we're dealing with like different types of cedar wood. 
So if you have every Shimon Moda, when we say don't use the wood in the shed, we're not talking about twigs, we're not talking about logs, we're talking about nice, good cedar beams. And now on Yantav, all of a sudden you decided, yeah, I have nothing else to use, I might as well use them for my fire. No. Mm-hmm. That's not just because in your mind you're planning not, you know, you haven't thought about starting to use it. That's something that's muktzamach maschisa and kiss. It's a, because of its value, it's totally off limits, and even Rebbe Shimon would, would agree that that is muktzam. That's the special case of the wood. Okay. Some say the question was asked starting by the end and working backwards. You can't use the wood in the storage shed for the, if this is the first that you're breaking into it. Right? The, again, the point is it's the first you're breaking into it. That says that you cannot initially break into stuff that you have been storing away because it's a muksa in your mind. You're not ready to use it yet. Money, who's this going like? Reb Yehuda, these lay muksa, it's Reb Yehuda. Amoresha, but how about the first statement? You can break into the uh, pile of straw, so, which is you can break into stuff you've put aside. Us and the Rebbe Shimon, the way free muksa. That's like Rebbe Shimon who's not bothered by that. So again, what's the difference between the straw and the twig? So Mark says, no. Hasam betav nasarya. So there, it is like Rebbe Yehuda that normally stuff that you have set aside and put in storage that you haven't broken into yet, you haven't started using yet, is considered muktza, is considered off-limits. So what's the story then with the straw? He says, well, the straw is a little bit spoiled, and therefore it's a little like a moldy, and therefore it's still usable for firewood, but it's not usable. Why do you normally store straw for animals? But it's at a stage where it's no longer usable for animals. So once that's true then you're obviously would, start, would want to start using it for firewood. It's not so much anymore like it's in storage and put away in something you're not ready to start using it for. So Zemar says, one minute, hachazi latina. If it's starting to spoil, you can still use it for making a pl- plaster, and therefore maybe it is still something that you're going to want to keep in storage till you're ready to use it for that. No, the East Bay coats him. It's got thorns and thistles, and therefore it's not even usable for plaster. So basically it's Red Buddha, that if stuff is in storage, it's considered to be even if it's usable, the fact that you've kept it in storage and you haven't started using it makes it look so. Except that now we're saying it's a special case of straw, which is something that would be on your mind to use when it's starting to get moldy and would be something that you would no longer feel, feel as like put away and in storage. Okay, but anyway, that's the important debate of Reb Yud and Reb Shimon about what is your threshold for muksa. And again, the, there it's applied to an issue with something which is fundamentally usable. You just have set it aside and haven't, and in your mind are not yet ready to use it. Let's take a look now at the next, uh, at, at, yeah, at the Amud Bet, at the next Mishnah. Yes. Good question. There seems to be an obvious distinction that the Lord's not bringing up, which is that these are both, this stom, firewood, and straw are both things that normally we use on Yom Tov. Right. In this particular case, you put them away. Right. So since you put them away before Yom Tov, they're not designated for use on Yom Tov. Right. So the argument is that it's designated for not use on Yom Tov. Right. But what about using it for not its own use? Taking the straw to start a fire, right. fine, so you're not using it for the use for which you set it aside. Right, so that's a good question. Actually, the assumption here is, you know, I didn't get into that, but the uh, um, Tosus raises that issue. Like, if, if you have wood set aside for firewood, then to use it for firewood is much is less of like a muksa issue. I don't know if you were thinking the opposite, but anyway, this question rose up today. Right, animals using the straw for firewood is a bigger problem. You think it's better? Uh, anyway, anyway, tells us really guys for the reason it was set aside. But on the other hand, it's more out of your head that as long as you set it aside for animals, to use it for animals was at least you know somewhere there in your head. Anyway, Tosus raises that issue that it is funny that one of them seems to be using for what you 
were anyway going to use it for and you just haven't started using and the other not for that. So Tosus does raise that problem. Let's take a look now at the next Mishnah. You cannot take sticks away from the sukkah. Presumably this is understood to be that you have, again, not necessarily, uh, this is a hot, not necessarily sukkah on Sukkot, although it's one out of the three Chagin here. But anyway, um, but this is presumably, again, like a muktzah issue because, again, we were talking about taking sticks from the storage shed. So you're taking sticks from the sukkah, but you can take it from something that's near the sukkah. Now, what does that mean? So the Gemara assumes what it means is <laughs> that sukkah means here is the actual thatch roof. So here's your sukkah with your thatch roof. So don't take it from the schach, okay, but if you've got some sticks that are, or let's do it on top, if you've got stuff that's not the schach itself, but that's some sticks that are lined on top of the schach, it's near the schach, that reads sukkah schach, then you can take those sticks off of the schach. Those aren't mukta, but the sticks that are part of the schach itself is mukta. So the Gemara says, I don't get the difference. You can't take it out of the schach because even for getting muktza, you're destroying an ol. It's, you're not allowed to build or to deconstruct on yantiv. So taking stira, so taking it out of the roof, something that's part of a out of a building, like taking a brick out of a building, although you haven't demolished the whole building, that's so there. So, so even if you have sticks the way the way Rashi means it's just lying on top of the schach but sticks lying on top of the schach become incorporated into the schach what is schach except it's like various sticks and stuff on top of the roof so they become part of the schach so taking them away is also destroying the uh, structure so the Gemara says my samach, my samach, what does it mean the sticks that are nearby it does not mean on top of the schach it means if you have some sticks lying against the wall. Sticks lying on the schach become incorporated into the schach and they're seen as part of the roof. So to take them away is destroying the roof. Sticks lying against the wall, just physically the way they're set up, right? As you know, this is like a very solid, like a well-defined structure. These are obviously external to it, and therefore they're not part of the wall, and therefore it is not a problem. They're not mukta, and it's not destroyed. Whereas here, okay, no, you can't take it out of a stick of the wall because that's destroying the structure. So it's near the sukkah, okay? Not something that's on the sukkah. On the sukkah means anything on the roof is part of the sukkah. The walls are part of the sukkah. You can't remove any part of that that's destroying the structure. But something that's near the sukkah, not the schach, leaning against the wall, that's okay. So it's the word la, I don't know. Yeah, okay. Um, Side. The sukkah, the sukkah is the whole structure. Okay. So the says like this, um, Even if it's not against the wall, even if it's on the schach, when we're talking about taking sticks off of the near it, which near it to me near the schach, not just near the wall, we're talking that you've got a bundle of sticks on top of your schach, and it's clearly distinct from the schach. Okay, if you have a few types of, you know, branches, well, that's what schach is. But if you've got your stick bundle, you know, your firewood bundle on top of it, clearly it remains distinct, and therefore it's not a problem of destroying the structure. It never becomes incorporated into the structure. Okay. Yes. Well, no, you don't. Whether you, you don't necessarily have to add. No, no. It's only stuff that's stored away. You don't have to actively designate normal types of things. 
No, no. Stored away means it's like I've got a whole storage shed and I'm like, I, you know, I, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not starting that until I'm ready. Like the yeah. example I gave before is like, you know, I buy these shirts and I keep them in my package and I don't want to take them out until I'm ready to take them out because, you know, anyway, so that, that's very different than the types of stuff that's there to be used as you need it. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Tiny with our bright stuff. The Bithi Yosef coming to Rabbi Yochanan ain't looking eating in a sukkah alley in a samukla, what we said. Rabbi Shimon Matthew, Rabbi Shimon allows. Now the Gemara is going to say, one minute, if we said don't take means stuff that's incorporated into the structure, how would Rabbi Shimon allow you? Isn't that the problem of destroying a structure? So we'll have to figure that out. It's not just a muksa issue. Or, you know, if we're saying that it's stuff that's really part of the structure of the sukkah. So that's one issue is Rabbi Shimon. The Shalim, the sukkah zachag b'chad, but they agree when talking about a sukkah of sukkahs on sukkahs, so we're also talking about the mitzvah, you know, the uh, mitzvah object of a sukkah, she'asura, that that is forbidden. Um, even Rabbi Shimon would agree that's forbidden to take a piece away from it, because that's not just a muksa or destroying a tent issue. That's also an idea of designated for the mitzvah, which is a separate category. And if you stipulate, then your stipulation works that allows you to you take stuff away from the sukkah, even on sukkah. We'll see what that means. So now let's unpack this. Rebbe, um, so the Gemara says like this, Rebbe Shimon Matir. So let's go to the first point that Rebbe Shimon, forget sukkahs for now, lets you take something out of the sukkah, from the wall or the roof. How could that be? You're destroying a structure, a tent. Uh, so, We're talking about nofelet. A sukkah, it's funny, it uses the like present tense verb, but it's a sukkah that has fallen down. Okay, and therefore, there's not a problem of destroying the structure. So, Yantha began, it's Pesach. Yantha began, and your hut was standing. So everything was off limits because you can't take something away because it's uh, be destroying the thing. So that means now it fell down over Pesach, or on the first day of Pesach. Can I now use the firewood? Well, now you don't have a problem of destroying the tent, but you do have a problem of mutza, because it was off limits when Yantha began. But Rabbi Shimon would say, oh, now that the sukkah is down, I don't hold of uh, those types of things being muksa. They're fundamentally usable, and therefore you can use it. Okay, so that's the issue. Now it has become a muksa issue. Reb Shimon time made delay say muksa, and Reb Shimon is the reasoning that doesn't hold of muksa, even though when Yantha began, it was off limits because at that time it was would be an iser to remove it. And here's a parallel case of something that was usher to use when Yantha began, but when it becomes accessible, according to Reb Shimon, it's okay. Titani we turn to Brisa, Moser not muksa, Moser Hashem and Shebener. If you have left over oil from your uh, lamp and now you know the wick the, the, the fire has gone out and can you use the left uh, it was burning when Shabbos began can you use the leftover oil the Shabbat or in the plate also you can't use it it's muktzah because it was off limits when Shabbos began when Shabbos began you couldn't take the oil because it would be like keyboard it would be leading to a diminution of the flame Rabbi Shimon Matiyam, Rabbi Shimon allows it. Even though it was off limits when Shabbos began, now it's accessible, now it's okay. The same true with a sukkah that fell down, and that's what it's about. So the says, one minute. Me dummy. How, you, how can you compare those cases? In the first case, a person is waiting for the candle to go out. Now, it doesn't literally mean that, because if you were waiting for the candle to go out, why you light it in the first place? But it means that you are anticipating. The natural course of events will be that the candle will burn out, and there will be leftover oil, and you're expecting there to be leftover oil, so that Rabbi Shimon should allow you to use the oil that was expected to happen anyway, so he could say it was somewhere in your mind. But hacha, but in this case, 
Adam Yoshevu Mitzapa Amosai Tipal Sukaso? Do you think a person is waiting, ex- like expects the sukkah to fall down? So even Rabbi Shimon shouldn't say it's allowed because it's nothing that you would have expected and was off limits when Shabbos began or Yanta began. Fine. So it was a shaky sukkah. If you want to say that Reb Shimon would demand that it be that it be in your mind, we could be talking about a sukkah that's very fragile. That yeah, you were expecting it to some degree to fall down, and that's why Reb Shimon says when it falls down, it's not a muktzah issue. Okay, now we get to the last second part. So that had to do with the muktzah problem. Now we get to the issue about the sukkah on sukkahs that that's off limits according to everybody that's the principle of Huxley mitzvah so we'll see in a minute another principle things designated for a mitzvah but a t'nai will work if you stipulate you want to be able to use it that'll work so let's take a look at the Gemara so the Gemara starts with a t'nai issue does the does stipulation work? Now we're going to see why the sukkah is off limits on Sukkot. For another reason. Um, how do you know the wood of a sukkah, presumably of the sas, some say even of the walls, is off limits the whole week? Right? There's not a normal idea of muktzah cholamoed, so this is not the normal muktzah. This is a separate idea that something designated for the mitzvah, maybe particularly a sukkah, because we're going to have a pasuk, is off limits for all of Sukkot. Okay, how do you know that? A, 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 a celebration of Sukkot seven days to God, the time was on bread. So God's name is, it takes place, you know, sort of it descends on the Korban Chagiga, which is what Chag means, you know, the bringing of a Korban Chagiga. So it really is sanctified. So the sukkah becomes sanctified. So here's this idea that, and some think that this is a real Doraisa, this idea that there's this concept of sanctity to the sukkah. So, Talmud Lomar, so how do you know this is true? So seven days to God, the same way the Chagigas to God, and the Gemara understands if it is real sense of this idea of being sanctified, you know, again, it doesn't mean you can't get benefit from it because else how could you sit in the sukkah on sukkahs? But sanctifying the sense that it can't be used for anything else. So what good does a tonight make? You know, this should be an absolute thing. It's not just a question of your das and being muktzah or not being muktzah. It's fundamentally about its status. So the Gemara says, Amar Avinasha says, Avinasha, fine. Great Rava, safe also the sukkah da alma. No, the end where it says you can make a stipulation. We're not talking about sukkah on sukkahs anymore. We're going back to your hut on Pesach. And that there we're saying that even the Rebbe Huda says it falls down. It's muktza if you explicitly say before Yantav, if this sukkah falls down, I want to use it for firewood, then even Rebbe Huda would say it's not muktza. But we're not talking about sukkahs. Sukkahs, you're right. The sukkah remains off limits. No stipulation can help. But a sukkah of the mitzvah on Sukkot, no stipulation will work. That remains off limits. So right now we're saying is, is that the issue of stipulation works for Rebbe Yehuda if it falls down. This, but the idea that you can't use a sukkah for the whole week, which is obviously more than a mutzah issue, that's absolute and there's no way you can get out of that. Presumably also even if it falls down. Because we're talking about something, but in the other case we're talking about it fell down. So presumably even when it stops being in the state of being used, you know, usable for the mitzvah, once it began Sukkah as a sukkah, it remains off limits. Yeah, uh, let's just read a little bit more. Okay, I want to get to the mountain. Yeah. So, so that's where we are right now. So the Gemara says, the sukkah of the mitzvah low, now the Gemara is doubling back on itself. One minute. 
I know we insisted that a Tanai can't work, but it actually seems that a Tanai does work by a sukkah of the mitzvah. The hot time, and we turn on the brisa, so you put the proper schach on your sukkah, the itran, you crowned it, you decorated it, the kramim, ugasadinim, with different types of like scarves and whatever, and sheets, hamitsuyarim, like, you know, colored sheets, the talabai, gozim, shkenim, afarsikin, vimonim, aparkili, anavim, genus, shmanim, vesilsos, vesilsos, the atarot shibalim, and you decorated with all these beautiful things, various nuts and fruits, and, uh, you know, clusters of grapes and wine and oil and flour. Rashi says obviously in some type of glass containers anyway and like bunches of, of, uh, of wheat so you, it looks gorgeous not only can you not benefit from the wood of the sukkah you can't benefit from all these nice foods that you have hanging from your sukkah until the last days of Sukkot but if you stipulate before sukkah begins I might want to take some of that fruit and eat it then you, you are allowed so here you see stipulation does work but a minute ago we insisted it didn't because the idea of Chal Shem HaMayim was an absolute so sukkah is completely off limits so the obvious difference is this is the noy this isn't the sukkah itself and there there might be a difference which is what the Gemara says Abai Virava Dami Tavayu Abai and Rav both say Ba'omer Eni Bodumeham Kobein Hashmashos if you say, I am not separating myself from them, I am not withdrawing my hand from them, the entire period of banish Mashos, meaning that when Sukkot begins, I am saying that even as Sukkot is beginning, I am not making this noy totally part of the Sukkah. Even as Sukkot begins, I want to have rights to these fruit that's hanging from the Sukkah, and I might want to peel off that apple and eat it. So if you say that, the noy never becomes part of the sukkah and therefore they don't, it doesn't get sanctified together with the sukkah so that allows your tonight to work because they were talking about the, the noy and the noy therefore can remain separate but the wood of the sukkah itself the that the sanctity does take effect on it that remains off limits so the Gemara is now introduced a new idea called which applies even like on which is not just normal mukta which is off limits because it's being used for the mitzvah applies even like on Hanukkah for the oil of the Hanukkah menorah it's not about the Kedusha of the day um, and that remains completely off limits the one thing that you can stipulate uh, even if it falls down presumably the one thing you can stipulate on is the noy and that remains not part of the sukkah so now let's just wrap this up how is it different than that which we teach if you separate out seven esrogim you're going to use a different one for each day of sukkah after you're done with each one, you can eat it right away. It's only set aside for the mitzvah until you do the mitzvah. Once you do the mitzvah, eat it. No. Even after you've done the mitzvah, you can't eat it till the next day. Once it's set, set aside for today's mitzvah, it's off limits all of today. Okay, so that's an interesting debate, but what do they both agree? That it can be set aside for one day without the next. So how come for sukkah, if it was set aside the first day, is it off limits all seven? Maybe I should be able to stipulate and say I'm going to use this sukkah to, on day one and that sukkah on day two and the other sukkah on day three. Maybe a stipulation can work. Here it works for the esrogim. So the Gemara says, no. Hatsam, When it comes to lulav, there's a period you're not taking the lulav. At night. Right? So light is different in the day. Today's mitzvah is distinct from tomorrow's mitzvah. So because it's designated for the, for the lulav on Monday, it doesn't mean it's designated for the lulav on Tuesday. It's not a continuous mitzvah. Seven separate days of mitzvahs. 
on Hakka, the Lomasi by Sukkah, what's the idea? You live in a sukkah for continuous seven days. You're supposed to sleep in a sukkah. So it's one period. It's not seven periods. It's one period. That's a week long. So kula yoma kichari yoma rikhtadami. It's all like one big day. And once it's designated for the beginning of the day, this day that lasts seven days, it's designated and it remains off limits for the entire week.